So, Rebecca, I have an email from a patron that I want you to comment on because I think you might have a few things to say about it. What do you say? Okay, no pressure. This is the Psychology in Seattle <laughs> podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Rebecca? Uh, I'm Rebecca Bloom. I used to be a professor, and now I'm in full-time private practice working with adults who are motivated for treatment in South Seattle. Yeah, it's funny. I I was looking for a relative because uh, I've been doing all this genealogy like we were talking about. And I searched my pictures for a, a distant relative named Rebecca, and your picture came up. Oh. Uh, and there was you and you and me being bored in a faculty assembly meeting, if you remember oh, that. Oh, God. And in 2009, <laughs> uh, you and I are just staring into the darkness as, as like someone is, you know, talking about some nonsense. But anyway, uh, patron Elizabeth wrote in, and she says... I wanted to comment on a discussion you had on an episode regarding how parents should be reinforcing their kids' behavior with love and attention rather than food and material goods. In my field, we often work to pair material items or food with positive attention as a means an animal trainer as a, as, a, as a means to eventually fade out the material items and allow the social attention to become reinforcing. As I work with children with special needs, they often do not inherently possess that ability to appreciate attention as a reinforcer. So we need to create that association between their preferred items, like like food and you know material items, and, and their non-preferred form of reinforcement. I'm wondering your thoughts on this, as it seems you believe that children are inherently born with an ability to, pre- to appreciate social reinforcement. And parents undo this natural reinforcer by reinforcing with material goods and food. Is this the case? Or do you think that social reinforcement is something that is learned? Rebecca, what do you think? Well, I have worked in a token economy on the psych unit. Have you ever worked in a setting like that? Me, no, but I am familiar with token economies, yeah. So people would get points for attending groups, and then at the end of the week they could turn those points in for hygiene items. Um, so I am very familiar with, and this was with adults and the idea was that these people didn't have the skills enough to do that. I mean, I think it's all about level of functioning. Like we make these blanket statements like children or adults, but really I think the nuanced level of functioning, uh, is really important. So if somebody is extremely low functioning and interpersonal relationship, uh, doesn't register for them, Yes, you need to find a different way of connecting. Like uh, with food? I mean, potentially. You know, I, I every parent I know has bribed their child for potty training, unless they're one of those diaper-free parents that has time for all that, uh, with M&Ms. So, um, you know, who am I to say, like, don't do that when, you know, it works and people are at the end of their rope and they need something. Yeah. So, I mean, I would be lying if I said... That doesn't. Yeah, right. So, yeah, what I'll say about this is similar to what you're saying, or the same, but just in a different way. Which is that, yeah, it's a very complicated topic. It, it's in the field of what we call learning theory or behavioral therapy. Uh, you know, material items and food are are absolutely effective as reinforcers and as motivators. I mean, all you have to do is look at 
is look at animal. You said, you know, what is this person, animal trainer? I mean, really, I mean, we are not that different from our other mammal cousins. And all you got to do, you know, I was in Universal recent, recently, and I've been to SeaWorld too, you know. And you just realize that the trainers use food all the time. You know, they have this little bag of little pellets, you know, that they they just give the animals whenever they do what they're told to do because they just want to reinforce it. And you just realize, wow, you know, food is a is a pretty big motivator, you know, and it can be used to train people that you're trying to train. It's usually in the context of children, right? You're usually trying to train or shape the behavior of, of children. And, yeah, for people working with special needs kids, food and material items are sometimes the only thing that will work, as you're, as you're saying. But at, also, as patron Elizabeth is pointing out, it's important to periodically review your reward system, uh, whether you're a clinician or a parent, and think about your your overall uh, approach to rewarding a child, you know, or, or someone else that you're trying to change their behavior. Because if you're your dominant way of reinforcing behavior is with food or material items and you, and you're not trying to incorporate what we call, you know, social reinforcers like smiling and praise and, you know, like tokens, earning stars, things that don't involve food and spending money. You know, if if you don't periodically review that, you run the risk of kind of creating a monster, essentially. You know, if if everything you did uh, as a as a young person was rewarded with an M and M, you know, what happens when you don't get that M and M anymore? <laughs> well, you only save it for potty training. I mean, the most important. <laughs> right, right. So imagine if if everything you did, you know, every time they they went to bed on time, or every time they stopped yelling at you or every time they sat quietly or you know if everything you did was with m&ms that would create a an expectation and and a neural pathway perhaps that you don't want to have you want really the person the human being to respond to social cues because that's how the real world works when when you show up to work on time your boss doesn't give you an m&m you know? I wish they did because I'm my own boss. Yeah, <laughs> so. and yeah well, you can. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's what we just learned. I need to talk to my boss. Yeah, you're just kidding. you're just kind of a jerk of a boss is what we just learned in that situation. But um, also, it, when you do that, research shows you increase the likelihood of someone becoming obese, when, especially with kids, right? If, if every little thing you do is associated with, you know, especially a sugary item, then it creates a pattern behavior in which they will reward everything they do with something sugary. And so, but again, I have to go back to if you're working with, in a classroom of 20 special needs kids and you're just trying to get through the day and you're trying to, you know, keep people from hurting each other and food or you know m&ms are the only thing that work then by all means go for it really um so you know that's but but the the overall hope is that you can 
as patron Elizabeth is saying, you can start pairing these social reinforcers with these food and material items so that eventually you can kind of wean them off of the material items and the food and, and only provide the social reinforcements like praise and that sort of thing. And I've seen that before. In my limited work with special needs kids, I, I remember doing that. And it's hard work, you know, because... Oh, it's the hardest work. Yeah, I mean, some of these people, they need constant oversight and constant direction and constant, uh, you know, uh, hey, you know, no, 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 hey, no, uh, oh, if you do, hey, you know, you just, you can never relax, and mm-hmm. so, uh, to, you know, it, I'm guessing what patron Elizabeth is reacting to is, I flippantly said in some other episode, like, um, you should never use food as a reinforcer, I, I probably wouldn't have said that, but something along those lines, I probably intimated something like that, and the, you know, the issue is much more complicated than that. And, and well, using food isn't isn't bad. It's just you just really just have to think about your approach overall. So I have a slightly different example, which I'm finding really fascinating these days. So uh, it, and it's the way that technology is hitting those same receptors, the same pleasure receptors that food hits. Yeah. Uh, so my son just had his bar mitzvah, yeah. and uh, someone who doesn't have a child uh, gave him as a gift. Uh, <laughs> Alexa, the Amazon yeah. response device. I don't yeah. even know what to call it. It's yeah. like if the internet was just audio, and it was and it responded to your voice. Right. And it's fascinating to watch him with it uh, because everything he wants, he can just ask it for it, and he, most of it he gets immediately. Yeah. So anything well, that What does he, he ask for? Uh hip hop radio <laughs> and um this America there's a twenty four hour a day this American life show. <laughs> oh wow. Well I mean could be worse. Yeah. I was thinking like porn or something or <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of what else a thirteen year old would yeah. <laughs> He just wants to hear stories. Stories about people. Yeah. Um but it made me think about like this the experience that this generation is having is so different. I mean, when I was a kid, you had to wait for that thing that you wanted to show up, uh, you know, in the mail or whatever. But now that he just gets it instantly, and when he doesn't get it instantly, he kind of freaks out. Well, I think um, I'm the same way. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I grew up. We grew up in the same time. We're the same age. And, uh, yeah, I'm the same way. Uh, you know, it's like when I don't, when it's so funny too, cause it's like, like you're saying when we were younger, I mean, you're saying you had to wait, but really 99% of the things that I have access to now, I, I would never have been able to get, um, you know, simple things like weather patterns. I remember I'd have to go to like my uncle's house and like peruse through his old almanacs. Remember those, remember those things? Oh, of course. Yes. You know, and it's like all this, this plethora of information you kind of flip through. It felt like it's like, Oh my God, data, you know, it's like in here. And, uh, but yeah, I, I'm totally that way. But as a, as a mom, how does that affect things? Is it, is it a bad thing? You know? Well, to tell him that he doesn't have access to it, uh, is like the end of the world. So 
you know, as technology gets added in, there's all these other next levels. So we were discovering that he was waking up in the middle of the night and turning the hip hop station back on when we were asleep. So then we had to buy this other device called the circle. Have you heard about this? No. Okay. So it's from Disney and it's a second router where you can put all of the kids' devices on that router and put time limits on it. Because trying to run around after your child, trying to get the device out of their hands, gets a little exhausting (laughs) after a while. And so it's fascinating that Disney has come out with this device that you tell it. So we tell it to turn Alexa off at 1030 um, and not turn her back on until 7 the next day. Because... It's the monitoring becomes this whole like second level of exhaustion for parents. And it was fascinating when I posted this on Facebook, everybody wrote back like, Oh my God, what are you doing? Because I just can't take it anymore. And I, you know, I mean, at this point, all of us have a device in every room and your kid is smart enough to figure out how to get on every single one of them. Oh, totally. Uh, you know, they they watch your passcode. <laughs> like, um, So it's been interesting to have this, other device in the house that controls his time and it's taken the arguments out of it because you know there is no motivation greater than that device which just feeds that pleasure center of his brain right and i'm kind of glad i'm a therapist and that i know that because otherwise i would just think like my son is an addict jerk um but you know i know that he can't disengage because the whole device is created so well he won't stop engaging right and that's not his fault yeah um but at some point you know he has to stop listening to the current hip-hop music he did tell me this was an amazing parenting moment he instructed me that rap stands for rhythm and poetry and not every (laughs) person is good at both some people are just good at one or the other and i was like i can't i feel like the true information of the world has been passed down to him now that he's educating me on hip hop and how it works. Yeah. Well, you know, if you wanted to be a really kind of hip, hip parent, you could have, you could have responded in a rap. Like, yeah, I'm not that fast. Hey son, you just (laughs) taught me about something. You know, you could have, you could have like, you know, really gone, you know, if you were cool like me, which I can only try to be, you, you could have, you know, beatboxed your way you know into his heart at that moment but i i can beatbox and i do make him listen to old school hip-hop which is you like can, you can beatbox is that what you just said yeah let's, i let's, not, let's hear some let's I'm hear not, some i'm not ready i'm not ready some other some other time i'll beatbox for you not now <laughs> now <laughs> no <laughs> all right well i hope that answers your question patron elizabeth i'm pretty sure you if i remember right actually are a behavioral therapist and know a lot more about this than i do and if you're working with special needs kids and you're you know using various different reinforcers i'm sure you have a very complicated system that uh you know is effective because you're an expert in that can I say something else to, sure. to pitch, that people might not understand that when somebody, depending on someone's IQ, they may never learn a behavior. So like when I was working with adults who had fetal alcohol syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, they may never learn that new behavior. A moment to moment, day to day, you're just constantly working on the bare basics. 
and it's really difficult work. Right, right. Yeah, that's part of the definition of intelligence is the ability to learn. And for people who have some conditions, they they don't learn. They don't learn from experience. And so shaping uh, behavior of someone who doesn't learn is, is nearly impossible. It, it's akin to, I mean, not, you know, to take it to a very far extreme. Uh, I remember at, when I was at some, you know, animal show, they were demonstrating the intelligence of the different animals. And for whatever, and so for certain birds and cats and dogs, they were saying, you know, watch us as we shape behavior of these animals. And they, they did some kind of demonstration and showed like very quickly uh, this this animal could figure it out, you know, and would learn from from experience. And then they brought an ostrich in the front of the crowd and for i for what i guess ostriches are really dumb <laughs> <laughs> and, and could not and and they they did the same demonstration with these ostriches ostriches is that how you say ostrich Ostr- ostri i don't know actually yeah. what the plural is ostrosi um and they demonstrated that the ostrich could not learn it just would mm-hmm. not it did not learn from and you, and with these other animals, they they demonstrated it did learn with those and the ostrich. And again, humans are even the you know perhaps on the low end of the IQ are vastly you know more intelligent than an ostrich. But but the point is is that um, it's hard. And I feel so bad for professional <laughs> and thank God that these people are working with these people because it's. It's so hard work. I mean, the very limited experience I've had doing this kind of work. Um, you know, I, I, I've worked with autistic spectrum kids in my early career. And I just remember thinking, I can't wait to get out of this situation, <laughs> you know. I mean, there were moments, obviously, that were really fun and enjoyable. But there were just it's just so fatiguing. <laughs> you know, it's just... And the system puts so much pressure on the professionals to, like, get a job done, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I have, I've met dozens of what they call, you know, the behaviorally disabled class teachers, you know, these people? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in public schools, they, or I guess even private schools, they have classrooms sometimes where the quote-unquote behaviorally disabled kids go. What, you know, so these might be autistic spectrum kids. They might be abused kids. They might be um, FAE kids or something. And they, in regular classes, present so much problems that they get kind of put in this other class. And they require a very special kind of teacher. They don't give these kids to just any old, you know, uh, history teacher or something. And universally... These teachers are crazy, <laughs> but like in a good way, you know, they're, they're, they're the most, and of course I'm generalizing, but every one of them that I've met, I've just been like, wow, you are an out of the box thinker. They're, they're so out of the box and you have to be, to be, to work in those kind of environments. Cause it's so challenging. Um, 
it's sort of like my theory about people who are really good at running marathons. When when I grew up, I grew up with a lot of runners. There and I'm mm-hmm. terrible. I'm like, you know, a hundred yard dash by like by like yard fifty. I was like, is this thing over yet? You know. But I I, I knew a lot of people who could just run forever, and they were the most serene, calm. <laughs> low-key people on the planet and i just had this theory like i wonder if like the fact that you're just so low-key allows you to just kind of drift as you run these marathons you know whereas i my brain is running a mile a minute and and as soon as i start running i'm just like okay you know what what am i going to do next you know (laughs) how when's this thing going to be over and i think that people who work with you know uh you know these behavior quote-unquote behaviorally disabled kids have to be a particular kind of person. Have you had that experience? Yeah, and I have done that work uh, with adults. Um, and actually, it's art therapy is helpful in that because you can see how delayed they are in the art. Mm. And so it's a great reminder of like, oh, right, this person is really delayed because, you know, maybe they can do a ton of other things just fine. But like the five things you really need them to do, like manage their money, you know, stop losing their wallet (laughs) they they can't do um and so it yeah it's really hard work it's really really draining yeah um i do want to mention another animal that is difficult to train yeah which is which is the sunfish oh um (laughs) random so at the, if you're ever at the aquarium in Monterey, it's like one of the most amazing places on earth. They do this, they have this huge tank and they do all these similar to what you're talking about, like different examples of how to get the animals to move in response to food. And then they have this one gigantic sunfish, which is like this like animal from another time. And they put this giant ball in, which is red. And inside the ball is some yummy jello with the, animal's favorite food and they say like 50 percent of the time the sunfish is like oh right in that red ball is a thing that i like and the other 50 percent of time does not remember no clue yeah why are sunfish shaped so it looks like why are they shaped like that they're the i don't know they're huge it's like as if a flounder turned on its side and went swimming yeah huge yeah i mean it 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 seems like how do they survive when they're basically just like walk they're just like slowly lumping along waiting for a predator to eat it I, i just don't i don't understand there's so many things in the in the sea, I just don't understand, and that they that's... must not be tasty. There must be some. There must the word must be out that they're, you know, lumpy and fleshy. They're not like salmon or tuna. You never get served like sunfish at a restaurant. That's, like that's true. I don't know. We got to do some research about this. But maybe that's just the rumor they're spreading because they don't it's... want. Maybe that's their key. They're terrible. Maybe they smell bad. Maybe yeah. That's maybe, it. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I've never smelled one. So, yeah, your theory is I can't disprove it, right? That's, so it must be true. Yeah. That's how our current science, that's how our country is working right now, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, goodbye environment. But anyway, um, that does it for that uh, episode of Psychology in Seattle in which we meandered for a while. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because why? 
someone's got to feed that sunfish. Yeah. And if you don't take care of yourself, who's going to feed that sunfish? <laughs> yeah. That's another thing. If a sunfish is so non-intelligent, how does it survive? Well, how does the well the ostrich is fast. We know that. And it's big. Right. Right. So there, the, there you go. Like the, you're not going to mess with an ostrich and right. good luck trying to catch one. Right. But a well, sunfish the, is just it, it's it's not intelligent and it's slow and huge and noticeable. And maybe awkward. it's not noticeable. Maybe the color of it is it's got to have something going for it. I know. Well, you know. How, how does I mean maybe Well, here's the deal. You something. ask your son to ask the machine. Right. I'm going to go up right now and ask Alexa, how does the sunfish keep predators away? You realize every time you say that word, if someone's listening on their, like, like, it'll trigger, it'll trigger their thing. Yeah. A thousand Alexas are responding. (laughs) Alexa, play hip hop 24 hour radio. Alexa, why is a sunfish so dumb? <laughs> okay. Uh, that thing. I don't know. It's very when I have to say the parental guilt is really intense. So people come over now and I have to tell the whole story. Like my child has something in his room that we would never pay for, but it was a gift. Like cuz otherwise I'm afraid people are going to walk in and be like, "He has an Alexa? These people have money coming out of their ears." It's like, yeah. "No." Alexa, is Rebecca a bad parent for buying her son an Alexa? (laughs) It's like I would never (laughs) put that thing in my child's room. But who knew that you could listen to This American Life whenever you wanted to? I mean, yeah, but my God, what a great. (laughs) I mean, that's my dream 24 7 This American Life. I mean, come on. She loves it. I, I, I love him. That's just that is uh, fantastic. He's gonna grow right. up to be a, such a great person. I mean, if I had This American Life when I was his age, I could have I could have skipped through a lot of, you know, mistakes in my. But he is alternating it with the current misogynist hip hop. Yeah, but I, it's a good antidote. You know what I mean? Well, like you can't fit both those things in your head. Like one of, you know, he's probably he's probably <laughs> one like one of them is gonna win out. Yeah, well, and we'll when see. I point out how misogynist it, it is, he says, "Well, that's just one person's opinion about one person that they were dating." <laughs> it's like I cannot believe we are having this conversation, and I am losing. Well, he's so far ahead of the game. I mean, he has a mom who is even talking about misogyny. I mean, man, you know, if he grows up to be a douchebag, it was. Not, it's not because my, it's not my fault. No, it's pre-programmed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're gonna blame it on logic if he's a total douchebag. Well, you can blame it on Alexa. Well, well, that's fine. 